It's official, folks. We've got Big East representation in the Final Four. Well, the the NIT Final Four. But still, we got an NIT Final Four team from the Big East. And I'll talk about how they got there. And I got a little surprise also here on day 23 of the March Marathon here in the Igloo with me, Timmy Ice. So, Vanderbilt, Xavier, Centos Center, trip to MSG on the line. Xavier personally loved the gesture made by the players. You know, coming out, warming up in Paul Scruggs jerseys to honor the fifth-year senior and captain in the heartbeat of the Xavier team. And Vanderbilt started off really well. And Scottie Pippen Jr. got into a rhythm early. And just when Xavier looked like they had picked up the momentum, Vanderbilt snatched it right back towards the end of the half. They go up 31-29 at the break out of pair of three-point jumpers, one by Quentin Malora-Brown and the other by Pippen Jr., who, by the way, Scotty Sr. was in the crowd. And there were times where Vanderbilt looked like they were going to run away with this thing. They led by as many as 10. They raced out to a 41-31 lead in the first two minutes or so of the second half. Xavier, though, no quit. And Xavier, actually, they didn't take the lead at all in the second half until... They went ahead, actually, on an Adam Kunkel jumper with about two minutes to go. And Xavier got the stops they needed. Getting free throws out of them to try to ice the game was like pulling teeth. But, hey, even without Paul Scruggs, Xavier gets the job done. 75-73, they advance to the Final Four of the NIT in the Garden. Zach Fremantle comes off the bench and leads the way with 16 points, 5 of 9 from the floor. And then, four of the five Xavier starters were in double figures. Colby Jones with 15 points, 8 boards, 4 assists. 14 for Adam Kunkel, who got the start over Scruggs. 4 boards, 4 assists, 5 for 12 from the floor, 1 of 4 from behind the arc. Nate Johnson... Also 1 for 4 from deep, 4 for 7 from the arc, 12 points on the night. Jack Nunji, 28 minutes, 10 points, 4 for 8 from the floor, 2 for 4 from behind the arc. Dwan Odom had 4 points, 4 boards, 4 assists. They got a 3 from Cesar Edwards, and then a free throw from Jerome Hunter. Xavier really efficient from the floor at nearly 53%, and from 3, 5 for 14. You know, Vanderbilt made more threes. They made eight of them, but it took them 24 attempts to get there. They were 44% from the floor, 26 for 59. Xavier was 16 of 24 from the free throw line. Vandy was 13 for 18. Not a a whole lot of turnovers either. It was 10 each. As for Vanderbilt, no surprise, Scottie Pippen Jr. leads the way, and he was flirting with a triple-double. 28 points, 9 boards, 7 assists, 8 of 21 from the floor, 3 for 7 from deep. 
Miles Studi with 12 points on 4 of 7, all from behind the arc. 11 points from Jordan Wright, although he did foul out. 9 points from Liam Robbins. Rodney Chapman was scoreless in 30 minutes, and then they got 8 points off the bench from Tyron Lawrence. 3 from Jermaine Mann, and then 2 from Quentin Melora Brown. So, it wasn't Melora Brown who hit that three to put him down one towards the end of the first half. It was actually, oh, yeah, it was. Yeah, Melora Brown, it was a two-pointer, not a three. My bad. But anyways, what a win for Xavier as they advance to the final four of the NIT. And they're, they're probably going to play almost a virtual road game because we all know how these guys travel. I mean, we saw it in the Charleston Classic, and especially because it's in New York. Madison Square Garden, although it's on the opposite side of the state compared to where they are, they're going to show out. And that team is St. Bonaventure, who knocked off Virginia in Charlottesville in their NIT quarterfinal game. So they will meet on Tuesday, March 29th at Madison Square Garden time. I believe is still TBA. So that was the only game that happened around the Big East, in both men's and women's. But the Sweet 16 will tip off tomorrow. Villanova will be playing that night. But Friday night, for the first time in 25 years, Providence will be in Sweet 16 action. And joining me next, I owed him one. My guy. He he goes simply by bluff. He will join me next to talk some Friar Hoops. The incredible run as they've gotten to the Sweet 16. And a lot of optimism regarding their matchup with the top seed in the Midwest region in their Sweet 16 matchup, the Kansas Jayhawks. Me and Bluff chop it up next here on the Igloo. You don't want to miss this. For the first time in a quarter century, the Providence Friars are going to the Sweet 16. They play Friday night right around 7.30 Eastern on TBS at the United Center, the house that Jordan built, taking on the top seed in the Midwest, the Kansas Jayhawks. And joining me, I promised this guy back in, even before Big East play started, I would get him on my show for a Providence perspective. And what better time than in the middle of a Sweet 16 run? And that is, uh, of course, Guy, I've become pretty good friends with all thanks, all thanks to Twitter and Big East Twitter specifically. My guy, Bluff. Again, I promised you for a long time, but it's about damn time. It feels really good to get you on, man. Absolutely, Timmy Ice. I'm, I'm just, uh, I'm ecstatic, and it's a, it's a pleasure to be here, and I'm excited to talk some priors with you. So let's talk. I mean, this has been a storybook season, but it, it really would lack substance if the Friars didn't make it past this first weekend, which they did in Buffalo. And that first round game, a lot of times when it comes to a great team, that first round game, oftentimes the hardest one to get by. I mean, would you say, would you say that's the case with the South Dakota state game or? Well, I mean, anytime you're talking about Ed Cooley's track record in March, it's always, you're always going to look to the effect that he's only got two wins. And I believe one of them was a playing game. Um, yeah, it, it definitely, the, let's just say we were on edge from Sunday to Thursday. Um, it was, 
not great for a majority of uh, Friartown's mental health um, with everybody seemingly and their mother picking the South Dakota State Jackrabbits. And I had infamously said to many people that whichever five seed gets South Dakota State is going to get thrown into a volcano. Um, they were just uh, analytically a, a great team. I believe they had the second highest offensive rating, according to Ken Palm. Um, they had the second amount uh, in Division One behind Gonzaga, and you know, both offensive rating and in points per game behind Gonzaga. Uh, so yeah, it, this just seemed like this was. I don't want to say I had doubts, but I could definitely see it happen, which we <laughs> we'd leave um, our first round matchup very disappointed. But thankfully, um, you know, it, it, it played out. We held them to 57. I uh, believe they shot less than 30% from actually 30.4% from three as a team. So all, all's, un, all's well that ends well. There's a there's hundred ways to skinny cat. So the victory at the end of the night is what's most important. Um, followed that up with a pretty, pretty damn impressive victory over Richmond, uh, 28 points, which I believe was the highest margin of victory in the tournament. Um, I could be wrong about that, but they've looked mightily impressive over the last couple so uh, in many aspects, I, I think they're getting hot at the right time, which they, it's seemingly they've been hot all season outside of a few stinkers. So definitely, definitely feel good heading into this matchup with uh, Kansas and, you know, win two games in Chicago. We're, we're in the final four. So, I mean, let's talk about, I mean, it's not the biggest margin victory for the entire tournament, but if I'm not mistaken, I gotcha. think that might've been the biggest margin of victory for any team in the round of 32. I think that that would be more, factually correct at least i think so it would be but, I think so, so too. and honestly you know now i think i mean again providence hasn't really won games even against teams like you know sacred heart for example they they didn't really blow them out and in in big east play i mean their only real big huge blowout win was when they beat creighton to clinch the regular season title by 21 points i mean was this one of those games where you're like I can actually breathe easy and enjoy this game and re relish the fact that, oh, my God, we're going to go to the Sweet 16 for the first time since God Sham God was our point guard. Yep. Yeah, it was it was definitely a good feeling to not have to have it come down to the wire. I'm not going to lie to you. Even when we were up by 15 against South Dakota State, it was mid-double digits, mid-teens. Uh, I knew that they were going to make a run just because we were turning them over at a super, super high rate. Um, I think they had six turnovers in the first half alone. And obviously a team like that where they're taking, you know, almost 50% of their shots from three point, they, they can erase a double digit deficit, you know, in a snap of a finger. Um, but yeah, it, it was, it was nice to turn the page just because it seems like, okay, here we go. We're going to get another team that's getting hot right at the right time. Um, you know, but I'd said it to you earlier, it just seemed, you know, when you deep, dove a little bit deep into it, um, are deeper into it. The Friars and Richmond plays, you know, eerily similar in terms of the offensive sets that they run and, you know, their, their personnel, they matched up very well. You had an undersized guard in Gilliard, which was an ideal matchup uh, for Bynum. You couldn't play him off the floor. It's not like he's Kadari Richmond out there. Um, but it, it just seemed like we were getting a favorable draw. Um, heading into it, if we were getting a four seed, I, I totally anticipated getting Richmond as a 13. You know, it's not a high major that's winning a conference tournament. Richmond really had been disappointing relative to preseason expectations. So, you know, when you stepped back and you looked at it before the Richmond game, it's like if you told me that we needed to beat Richmond to advance to our first Sweet 16 since 1997, I, I would have taken that 10 times out of 10. So 
Yeah. Yeah, especially getting to avoid arguably one of the hottest teams in the country, which was Iowa, who Richmond knocked off on Thursday uh, to get to the round of 32. And overall, I mean, let's just talk about, I mean, Providence, they haven't been one to pride themselves. Yes, they have players who stand out as their their stars, if you will. But were there any, I mean, we, we could talk Watson and Bynum because they have gotten the most accolades, you know, throughout the season with Bynum being sixth man of the year in the league, but any other individual players that really impressed you in either one of those ones or both of them from last weekend? Well, I mean, the obvious one that stands out to you is Neville Horkler. I mean, I think I, um, Fanda talked about it the other night on uh, Field of 68 with Childress and Doster. 29 points, I believe, 23 rebounds. I, I mean, he averaged a double-double, shot four, six from three against Richmond, had a pretty impressive outing in the second half against uh, South Dakota State. Um, yeah, I, I'd, I'd say if I had to pinpoint it on one, uh, my my MOP for the Friars thus far, definitely got to be Horchler. Um, other than that, I think Croswell's given us some solid contribution. It, it just – it wasn't – it was two matchups that didn't really suit Watson all that much. Um, and, and that's okay. We know what Watson is. He's, he's a bully on the block, um, you know, much like David McCormick, who's, who's looming large coming on Friday. Um, but stylistically, I just didn't think that, that was the best matchup for Nate. So for Ed to step in and give us spot minutes, I, I think he had double digit rebounds against South Dakota state had seven rebounds against, uh, Richmond. And he, I, I believe he played more minutes than Nate and both. Um, so yeah, you're, we're, across the board, you're getting solid contribution for everybody. Um, I definitely think moving forward, if they're to beat Kansas, though, Jared Bynum's got to step up. Um, Al Durham's looked phenomenal. He, he's looked night and day since the last couple of games of the regular season. It looks like that sports hernia injury is, you know, starting to get better. Obviously, it doesn't heal without surgery, but um, it looks like it's manageable for him to play through pain. So across the board, I'm I'm very thrilled. Um, I, you know, since the beginning of this season, uh, you know, Coach Cooley, or even before the season, Coach Cooley kept talking about, you know, I like our blend of guys. I think that's the most important thing. You know, secondly, to having the talent, but if you can't mesh that talent, um, as we saw with last year's team, uh, it, it just doesn't matter much at the end of the day. But it, it's this is arguably the most cohesive group you know, from start to finish that Cooley's ever had. And it's, it's really showing. So the, the team's moniker this year has been be them dudes and they have, albeit Providence doesn't really get to face a blue blood a lot and they get one in the form of the Kansas Jayhawks. And, you know, they're one of the favorites to win the national championship. I, I personally, actually, before the tournament, I had them, winning it all because they have a good blend of everything and Providence. If there's one thing you could definitely pinpoint that could be an advantage for them. It's going to be the experience and all the, you know, senior talent, especially that is on display with this team. Uh, so what's it going to take for Providence to dig down deep and be them dudes to an even greater extent against a perennial power like Kansas and against a great coach like Bill self. Well, I think the most important thing is, you know, for them to play in themselves. And I, I was actually on the, on the way home uh, from work today, I was listening to um, Barstool Bench Mob. Um, disclaimer, I only listen to it when Ed Cooley's on. Um, but he talked about, you know, we face in, Blue Bloods in name, you know, 
all the time. You think about it, Villanova gets the five-star talent. Um, Villanova's won two national championships in the last six years. Um, you know, previous to that, it, you know, we're playing UConn. UConn is a big name. Uh, you know, they're obviously, they've, they've fallen from the Jim Calhoun first year Kevin Ollie days, but, you know, they're still a national presence, whether, you know, I'd like to admit it or not. So in terms of stepping up to the plate and just seeing a, a big, you know, national, you know, brand recognition, I, I think that we've prepped ourselves through Big East play for that. Uh, you know, you're playing in, in, in the Big East, you're playing in front of a sold out arena almost every single night. Um, so it shouldn't be an environment or a stage that's too big for them, obviously being in the Sweet 16 with a uh, Elite Eight berth on the line. You know, the stakes are raised, but just in terms of talent, um, you know, I, Upon first glance, and I wouldn't consider myself to be the biggest recruiting ex expert, but this doesn't look like a, a Kansas team of old in terms of having the high five-star talent. You know, there's no Andrew Wiggins. There's no Joel Embiid. Um, you know, there's no Malik Newman on this team. I, I just, uh, you know, and that's not to say that they don't have talent. You know, Okai Baji is a National Player of the Year candidate. Remy Martin is, you know, a phenomenal point guard. Had a great career at Arizona State. David McCormick, great. Um, you know, Jalen Wilson has given them, you know, tr tremendous and phenomenal contributions. He's, you know, athletic and a good defensive stopper in the same light that, you know, Justin Manai is. And they can give you production from, you know, guy one to guy 12 or 13. Um, and they've got experience, too. You think about their best players of Kayak Baji, Jalen Coleman-Lance, who's literally been in college since 2014. Um, Mitch Lightfoot, again, another guy who's been there forever, Remy Martin fourth year, I believe, David McCormick, fourth year, um, you know, and they just get solid contribution from everyone. Um, so I wouldn't really necessarily say there's too much of an advantage in terms of experience, but in terms of guys who, you know, know what it takes to win and know the sacrifices that it requires, uh, you know, I definitely think that the Friars are well prepped for that, um, you know, relatively speaking. So also worth noting, I mean, they're back in Chicago for the first time since New Year's Day, and that was in a different building. It was obviously in a much more desolate Wintrust arena, and obviously there's a big difference between Wintrust and the United Center where, I mean, Wintrust, you, gotta, you know, it fills about a little over 10,000, but you're going to be playing in front of nearly double that. I mean, I don't think it's going to phase Province because they've obviously played in front of big crowds like that and, and I don't know, probably not as much this year, but they have in years past. So I guess the big the big thing here, I feel like the experience is going to have to play out. They can't play like super timidly. They're going to have to play like the fourth, fifth year guys that they are. Now the question becomes, who are you pinpointing on Providence that really needs to step up his game big time and give that extra boost to this team in order to pull a big upset against, you know, that perennial powerhouse in Kansas. Um, to put it on every guy, I mean, the, the simple answer would be everybody needs to contribute. And that's just the reality of it. Simply put, Providence just isn't as talented. I don't think anybody can make argument, you know, at face value, taking everything in isolation. Kansas win this, wins this game 10 times out of 10 based on talent alone. Obviously, when you get into the tournament, everybody's a great coach. Everybody's got experience. Everybody's got talent. So anything can happen on any given night. I mean, we've seen it with Shaheen Holloway and the Peacocks. They, they, they took out Kentucky, um, and it looked like they were, you know, never phased by it. I got punched in the mouth and led pretty much the whole game. Um, 
But one guy who I think needs to step up, um, Jared Bynum, looking at his past couple of games, he has not been the guy who, you know, won Big East Six Man of the Year and over the last 10, 12 games of the season started to take over. Um, you know, you look at his first game, he played 25 minutes, he shot 40% from three, three and nine from the field, zero assists though, um, two turnovers. So this is a guy who's, you know, in the same, cut from the same cloth that every Ed Cooley point guard's been. He sets the table for others, gets other guys involved and can go and get you a bucket when you need it. Now, Durham being back healthy, that kind of changes it to a certain extent, but at the end of the day, Jared Bonham's a guy who's more than capable of giving you 30 to 35 minutes of solid production. Um, it matched up like a guy like Remy Martin, who, you know, is a smaller guard. I, I think that this is an opportunity for him to play a solid amount. Um, you know, it, it, again, though, yeah, going back to it, the Friars all year, they've looked unstoppable when everybody contributes. You know, you had um, you know, against South Dakota, you had Horchler with or Horkler with 13. You had Durham with 13. You had Derek, Jared Bynum with 12. Croswell only put up, uh, you know, two points, but he had nine rebounds. Uh, Manaya had nine points. Uh, you know, everybody hit their free throws. Reeves hit a couple threes, <clears throat> two or two from three, actually. Watson was really the, the lone guy who disappointed that game. Um, you know, so it's everybody on the team's capable, man. <clears throat> and I think, it, you know, when you get in a setting where it's do or die, I think just the team that's clicking on all cylinders is the one that's going to win. Uh, and it's just a matter of who can take each other, at, you know, between Kansas and Providence, who can take each other out of their game, who can make the right adjustments, who can, you know, hit the shots where it matters. So that's what it's going to come down to at the end of the day. So I'm, so you, you're going to go buying them. I'm going to, you know, I think for me, I mean, when you go up against, a national player of the year contender like Ochai Agbaji. The one guy, given the position that Agbaji plays, I really, because, yeah, he might he might have gotten snubbed for Big East defensive player. He was right up there. I wouldn't say he's a snub per se, but right up there, maybe a 1A for Big East defensive player of the year, and he's going to get that matchup against the three of the Jayhawks. Of course, oh, yeah. Justin Minaya. So, yeah. I, I mean, he, he can score – but the biggest thing is, can he find a way to lock down one of the best players in the country, if not the best? Yep, absolutely. And, and you know, it's, it's to be expected with him. I mean, Manaya is a guy where even if his shot isn't falling, he's still giving 130% effort on defense. Um, you know, he's a guy who impacts the game. And, and this might be a reason why he did not win Big East Defensive Player of the Year. But he's a guy who impacts the, the game in ways other than the stat sheet. Um, and I know that that, that kind of sounds like a slight to him, but I, I mean, you look at it, the guy doesn't really average, you know, he doesn't average a steal a game. He doesn't average a block a game, but he's consistently holding the guy, you know, his defensive assignment to, a, you know, a, a relatively shoddy um, field goal percentage. He's a guy who's going to be in your jersey for 40 straight minutes. He's capable of it. He's got the, you know, the cardio to do so. And, and most importantly, that's what he prides himself on. Um, you know, all year when he's gotten a chance to speak to the media, he, you know, I just want to play my game. I want to help my team win. And if I can score doing so or get statistics, you know, this is the way to do it. Um, so, yeah, I, you know, he's got a, a great, great opportunity to not only get back some of the, uh, the praise that, you know, he thinks he so rightfully deserves. And in my opinion, he does. Um, but uh, with that being said, he's got an opportunity to make himself some money, um, you know, on the biggest stage in the, you know, in the game of college basketball. You hold the National Player of the Year candidate, uh, you know, one of the top five, I think, leading scorers in the country. T 
to a bad game and help your team advance to an elite eight, uh, you know, what better opportunity than now? Um, you know, that's the biggest thing is that all week Ed Cooley's talked about, you know, the, the opportunity that we have is, is, is something special. We may never not, we may never have this again. So, it, you know, it's important to just, you know, go out there and enjoy it. And, you know, even if we lose on Friday, it's, you know, you, the season's not a failure. You know, we won the Big East regular season title. Um, you know, you made it to the second weekend, which was, you know, a, a, a target that nearly everybody in the Friartown fan base had set, you know, at the beginning of the season, Ed needs to make the second weekend. Well, here we are. Um, and that's not to say there isn't more to accomplish, but, you know, if we leave with a sour taste in our mouth on Friday, we still have a lot to, you know, the, the team accomplished and a lot that the fan base can be happy for. Yeah, and I, you're 100% right on that. And looking at this overall draw of the Midwest Regional semifinals and potentially in the final, if Providence were to get by, I mean, I mean, first we can talk about, I mean, you know, what's your expectation for Providence in this game and, you know, maybe a game prediction. But looking at what's below them, if Providence can get by Kansas, I think that opens the door for them. I mean, don't I'm not going to disrespect either Iowa State or Miami, but Providence is – I would say better than at least one, probably both of those teams. So if they get by Kansas, that probably enables them to have an even better chance to get to that first final four. I mean, we talk about 25 year drought just to get to the sweet 16 last time they were in the final four, that's 10 years before that back in 1987. So 35 years we're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. And absolutely. You're spot on with that. I mean, again, it's another situation where, okay, we, we looked at our bracket of, you know, we're going we're gonna to get South Dakota State, who's on a 21-game win streak. And then if you win that, well, okay, you essentially play at the same team, but with more talent and another national player that you're a candidate in Keegan Murray, um, you know, that just won the Big Ten Conference title. Uh, yeah, again, you know, to, to think hindsight always being 2020, Iowa State and Miami beat impressive teams to get there. But if, again, if you told me that I was playing the winner of that game for a chance to get to the Final Four, I would take that opportunity every chance that I could. Um, that's just the reality of it. I, I would rather, you know, not have faced uh, Iowa, uh, you know, in that sense. And, you know, I'd much rather would have not faced Auburn. <laughs> so that's just the way that it goes, man. Um, you know, but it's the tournament. There's always craziness that happens. So, I mean, so essentially, I mean, I don't, I mean, you, I mean, you can go with, you know, if Providence, you know, like, are are do you think? I mean, as a fan, you obviously are, believe that Providence is going to be Kansas. I mean, oh, yeah. but from a, from an objective standpoint, you know, what do, what are you expecting for the overall results of this game? And 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 you know, like, you follow that up by saying, if Providence somehow gets by Kansas, I'm not going to say it's like an insane miracle, but if Providence beats Kansas, does that up their chances even more to get to that Final Four? Yes. Yes, I, I think the tougher of these two games are, you know, the, the match with Kansas and then the winner of Iowa State Miami. Arguably, everybody would agree with me when I say that Kansas is going to be the tougher opponent remaining. I like our chances a lot. I, I think we would be favored in either game. Uh, you know, if we, if theoretically, hypothetically, if we were to beat Kansas, Providence would arguably be the favorite, uh, the betting favorite against either Miami or Iowa State. Two very contrasting teams, and that's actually a game I'm excited to watch, where, you know, you have a team that, you know, prides itself in, in grinding and in grit defense, uh, defensive intensity, getting back and stopping transition buckets, and then Miami, who's just going to score at will sometimes. So, you know, we saw 
an Auburn team that got absolutely burned by transition defense. It didn't seem like uh, – let's put it this way. It looked like Bruce Pearl was an AAU coach out there. Um, you know, it would be an interesting matchup, and I'd be remiss not to mention if Providence matched up with, you know, the U, with J- Jay Laranaga, who was consequently the first call that PC made uh, when he was at uh, George Mason and the program had just fired Keno Davis. So that would be a very interesting matchup. Um, you know, a, a Providence versus a, a former alumni. Um, it, I can't say that I haven't been kind of hoping for that. Uh, obviously, that would, you know, entail beating Kansas first. But I'm definitely excited. And, and I, I think it's entirely within reason to look ahead and say, you know, the, the path to get to the final four is very, very, very real. Um, you know, Providence has played with just about everybody that they've they've played with. You know, they you think about their couple losses, Virginia, obviously being the outlier, but Marquette, they got blown out. They came back and beat them, you know, a, a couple weeks later. Creighton, they they beat by 19 to clinch the Big East title, regular season title. They turned around and lost, a, you know, two weeks later, got killed by third. So, you know, it's a game of ebb and flows. It's just about keeping a level head, um, you know, but having the cautious optimism that, you know, <laughs> the ultimate goal is what lies ahead. And it's very attainable. It's very attainable. So, yeah. Knowing Providence and how they are, I mean, whether – I mean, you, you're probably thinking it, it could be a Providence win because obviously that's the Providence fan in you. But objectively, oh, yeah. even even with that, do you see this ultimately being a one-possession game because that, that's been the trend there with Providence for most of the season? Yeah, yeah, I, and and I would assume so. I, I think Kansas opened as an eight-point favorite. Uh, that's just – that's way too much. Um, you know, this team – Kansas is very beatable. Um, you know, if they, they're not great at scoring in half court, if your guys get back and they defend transition, well, you give yourself every chance in the world. Obviously that's easier said than done when you have Remy Martin and Okai Baji and Jalen Wilson, all, you know, running and gunning in transition, but Providence has the athletes to compete. Um, you know, it's about making shots. Um, you know, it's about making the right adjustments and, and yeah, I, I, I don't think it's unreasonable again to, to say at this point that Providence has every chance in the world to win. Um, they can't be counted out. Obviously Kansas is expected to win their Kansas. They're a one seed uh, on paper. They should win this, but you know, we've, we've shown at, you know, the Friars have shown that they're a force to be reckoned with moving forward. So again, Providence, Kansas, Sweet 16 Friday night at the United center, seven thirty Eastern right around that time on TBS. And again, can't thank him enough. And I, again, I, I feel like I owed him one considering that we had talked about it, you know, way back in early, like probably maybe the halfway point of non-conference players, something like that. But Bluff, it was really good to get you on. I, I think this is probably the best time because I remember initially we were thinking of Seton Hall Providence preview, but mm-hmm. uh, you know, that never, you know, materialized, but I mean, it's a lot cooler to talk about a sweet 16 appearance, something that hadn't <laughs> been done since the last time I was one year old when that happened. So yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, I'm I'm in my mid to late twenties. I'll I'll say that. So yeah, I, I wasn't. I I was only. I was. Let's just say this. I was in the same bandwagon as you are. It's different being, you know, a toddler essentially at that point and coming back, being able being able to enjoy this fully and grasp and understand what's happening. So, um, yeah, this will be a season. No matter what happens on Friday, you know, as a Friar fan, I will enjoy this for the rest of my life. Um, I'll remember this season um, relative to expectations, man. I'm, I'm super proud of this team. 
um, you know, they came together. Uh, they had the right pieces. It's just a great group of guys. And to be honest with you, with my top three favorite Friar teams of the last decade, the, the 2014 Heart and Soul Friars when they had a six-man rotation, Bryce Cotton, um, 2019-2020 when they had Wayne Pipkins and they ended the season super hot. Uh, unfortunately, COVID derailed them, and then this one. Um, and I don't think that there's any incorrect order, but yeah. Uh, Ed Cooley puts together some special teams, both both in terms of the, uh, the, the basketball product and, you know, the, the, just the coalition of guys that he gets. So a lot of, lot to hang our hats on, um, you know, irregardless of the results on Friday. So can't complain. Yeah. And all I know is if, if Providence somehow, I mean, if they, if they pull this upset, you, I, I will guarantee you, I mean, call me corny all you want, but I will be blasting a T swizzle all throughout my house. If that, if that, if well, that upset happens, I can, I can promise you that won't happen, but I, I might be playing some uh, on the Saints go marching in. I can promise you that. Yeah. I mean, I mean, it's, 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 it's either or, I mean, it's your fight song, but I, but for me, I don't know, just, as corny as I was at, as I thought it was at first, man, I, I can't deny new traditions are cool. And I mean, for some reason, that song, You Belong With Me, I remember seeing it back on VH1 and MTV back in the day when they still showed music videos on television, the good old days. But yeah, um, that nostalgia and all that, and just the fact that it's something new, new life into the sport, new life into the, into the program, so on and so forth. It's something new and exciting for college basketball and Providence. Yeah, again, we haven't seen them in the stage in, again, 25 years. But Bluff, again, so good to have you on. And, um, again, best of luck to uh, you and your Friars this weekend, man. Absolutely, Timmy. It was a pleasure being on. We'll have to do this again soon. And uh, good luck. God bless. Go Friars. So one last note before I sign off for this episode. I should have put this in yesterday because of the fact that I literally saw it yesterday. I just got lazy. Or maybe I just simply forgot. But, well, Butler needs a new head coach because the school parted ways with head coach Kirk Godlewski after arguably the worst season in program history where they went 1-27, including 0-18 in the regular season Big East play and a first-round Big East tournament exit at the hands of Seton Hall, a game in which it was tied at the break at 24, and they ended up losing by 19, getting outscored 34-15 in the second half. You know, as much as I want to believe, I mean, on on the surface, you're like, yeah, this should have been the easiest decision ever. At the same time, not 100% sure that it was the greatest decision to make right this moment. And the reason why I say that is because his team is extremely young. Like, extremely young to the point where they were leaps and bounds the youngest team in the conference and one of the youngest in the entire country. In terms of the players that actually played, by the way, Genesis Parker missed basically the entire season because of a season-ending injury. And the the only seniors that got a lot of playing time were Selena Tabor, grad transfer from Furman, Amelia Sexton, 
who is a senior, not a you know graduate student, and Ellen Ross. That's it. Everyone else, either freshman or sophomore. Trinity White's a freshman. Zoe Jackson, true freshman. Alex Richard, true freshman. Sydney Janes, true freshman. Kendall Wingler, redshirt freshman. Kay Tanner, also a redshirt freshman. And then you got Tenley Dallas, redshirt sophomore. So it's a young team, and they clearly need time to develop. But obviously when you have a season as bad as that, where you go 1-27, yeah, I can totally understand why you need a change at the head coaching position. Now, who knows how quickly it's going to be filled? But one thing I know for sure, really, at Butler, the only way you can go at this point is up. Because it doesn't get much worse than a 1-27 season. So that I will admit. So that last one, last little footnote is going to end this episode of the Igloo. Thanks for tuning in again. Shout out to my guy Bluff for coming on talking some PC basketball as they, again, embark on their first Sweet 16 in 25 years. Again, make sure to watch them. So that'll be at 7.30 Eastern on Friday on TBS. And then coming up tomorrow, though, a lot of action coming up. Got two WNIT games. And it's the Sweet 16. Drexel Seton Hall, Toledo Marquette. And then on the men's side, of course, that's when the Sweet 16 will tip off for Men's March Madness. And one Big East team will be in action that night. Again, I mentioned Providence is in action Friday night against Kansas. Thursday night, Villanova is in action, two-seed in the South Regional, taking on 11th-seeded Michigan, who is a Cinderella who's not really a Cinderella. Well, because they're Michigan. I know they're an 11 seed, but they're still Michigan, and they were still a preseason top five team in the country, as I've reiterated countless times. So I'll have my prediction for that, those WNIT games, and and a whole lot more coming on tomorrow's edition of the Igloo. Again, it'll be day 24 of the 2022 March Marathon. Like I've said, grind don't stop here on the coolest podcast in all of college basketball. Thanks for tuning in. If you have tuned in every single day throughout this marathon, and again, there's going to be a lot more where that came from because, I mean, we still got basically a full week left in the month, and there's still a lot more basketball to be played and championships to be won. So until tomorrow, this is Timmy I signing off from the Igloo. Thanks for tuning in. I'll see you once again tomorrow.